IVW Take 5. This week, Joe Talbot from Idols chats with James Cox from Crows. Um, Hi, mate. Hello. How you hello. doing? I'm fine. I'm great. How are you? I'm all right, yeah. I, um, I'm going to make you slightly bigger. Ooh. There you go. Larger than life. I don't think you could be larger than life, James. You're you're too big for that shit, man. <laughs> What's that photo in the background? I'm going to start with the questions. Who's that? <laughs> that is uh, T-Berg. He's the drummer in a band called Babanaga. But it's the T-shirt, really, actually. Um, when he sent me this T-shirt. Oh, nice. They put that lovely black and white photograph from inside. <laughs> Do you know what? I find, I find that, is, you say German, yeah? Huh? Do you say German? No. Oh, where are they from? from? She Sheffield. Oh. Do you know Germans uh, make the, no the most conscientious gifts? I get um, my friend, uh, my friends in a band called Hope from Berlin. Mm -hmm. They always send like they sent me like the the we toured with them in Germany and they send like they send little postcards with beautiful photos on and write nice long really small oh. handwriting letters on them and stuff. It's really cool. I remember I was, oh, the Germans like have good detail with their hospitality when we play there. Do you find that? I was literally just to say I remember when we played in Molotov in Hamburg. We played there. Yeah, amazing. That was one of like the best riders we've ever received. And yeah, the attention to the detail of the gig is, and again, we got there and projected on the walls, they have music videos of bands that are coming to play there and like when they're playing there, like literally constantly projected onto the walls. So even if you're drinking in there, they're like, what's this band? It's like, oh, they're playing here next week. Like that's a fucking obvious, but really great idea. Mm. Um, Steve got arrested last time we were there, though. but <laughs> I thought you said Steve got arrested last night. I was like, no, no. last time we were in Hamburg. Why? What did he? Can you tell me what he did, or is that? <sighs> it was. It was. We we were there for um, Reaper Barn Festival, and I'm um, oh, sick. You played? Yeah, yeah. It was like the first know. first gig in Germany. Like really super excited, but it's because it's so far away. We we broke the journey up in Amsterdam the night before to <laughs> to break up the like. 19 hour journey or whatever so we got pretty pretty wavy in amsterdam driving into the city there's loads of police around we we're like kind of lost trying to find the venue and we were like we'd found a venue but we had to turn around to come back to it and as we like did a u-turn cops pulled us over and uh steve just like generally like has like a kind of a shake on his hands like normally so they looked at him and they were like they looked, they looked at him and they came to the back seat to me and they were like, you see your friend? It's like, he is very stoned. And we were like, oh. it's like, no, we're not. It's like, we smoked weed last night, but we're not stoned now. <laughs> saying that, obviously, he was like, yeah, get out. And he was like, who else is stoned in here? We were like, no, I smoked last night. And it's like, oh, I smoked last night. <laughs> it was like, no, you can't drive. So the policeman had to get in the car, turn around, drive us to the venue, take Steve to the police station. Um, and then... Finally, it was like, it was about 20 minutes we were supposed to be playing. We'd set everything up on stage. I'd set all Steve's stuff up. And we got a phone call from Steve and he was like, 
he's like they, they want a thousand euros to let me go in cash and i was like i was like what is happening it's like are we in like a film or something and then yeah literally they drove him to the venue we gave him a thousand euros in cash um Jeez. and we were like can we have some kind of receipt for this transaction and they wrote in pencil on like a business card something in german and handed it to me and that was it that was we got steve back we played the gig it was a great gig but <laughs> i love it corrupt as fuck sorry yes I've got to read this, sorry, because I, I was supposed to be more prepared than this, but unfortunately, I was late to this. Um, I'm willing to admit, I'm not normally late for stuff. So I apologise to you and the audience. But Good it job, says... The Rose Garden in Downing Street. Oh, eh? That's <laughs> the Rose Garden in Downing Street. What is it? What's the Dominic Cummings joke, sorry. <laughs> You, you're quoting Dominic Cummings. You're brave. That's a, that's a Sleaford Mods quote. Um, at the start of each chat, after you're, you've introduced yourselves. I'm James from Crows. He's James from Crows. Uh, we are asking the host to remind viewers about the various venue fundraising campaigns people can donate to, as well as a general fund we've set up to share amongst all venues. So obviously, um, I, I'd like to keep that in as, instead of editing out. Um, obviously, we're doing this because um, Independent Venue Week uh, are a scheme that raises money for independent venues and also awareness to the fragility of our situation as artists uh, and more importantly, as venues. Um, there's there's very rarely any subsidies, nor is there any kind of projection of what goes on. Basically, small venues around the country and are fucked because um, of like the rising, the rising rent prices and also noise pollution complaints from cunts, from horrible cunts yeah. um, and selfish pricks and uber capitalism is killing grassroots philosophy art and music so it would be good to think about your local and small venues wherever you're from as independent businesses often family run people that want to keep up um one of the most beautiful institutions there is which is live music and all the people that help run it so um it's a privilege to be here and to interview you, James, um, but also to try and, and, and raise any awareness. So hashtag Independent Venue Week, take five. If you go on to Independent Venue Week and Music Venue Trust as well, um, there's lots of stuff you can look into in ways of helping your local venues. Um, right, now Beautiful I've done put. that. I, wouldn't, I could have sent it better myself. Great, and that wasn't through necessity. That was because I find that we are in a time, um, I, I mean, I've got questions that I've been given that people have posted that I think you, you've seen, but it'd be nice to start off with something a bit more interesting. So, um, how do you feel, what would you like to, share with people 
about what, like, you know, what, for instance, where's your favorite small independent venue? Why? And where do you think that lands in terms of your career and, and other people's and the community around you? Hmm. <clears throat> well, I think one, the nicest thing about, about you asking me to do this, it just got me, I was like, I'll do a bit of research. I'll like a bit of memory bank research. And I kind of like made a list of all these venues that I love and all the venues that we've played and toured over the years. And I've got quite a good memory for, for gigs anyway that we play and like and places we go. <clears throat> and and I always find when, when we when I speak to people at the merch table or afterwards, they'll say, Oh, I saw you at this place at this time. And I always have the strangest like like picture memories of, of stuff that happened at that gig or the way I was feeling or whatever would had been happening like because it's sensory, like those, especially those really small places, like my sensory memory tra like transports me back to whenever I'm thinking about those places. And that's my favorite thing about music and live music, especially is it fucking burns itself into your memory. And then it will always, not always good stuff, but it will always remind you of, of the good times, the bad times, or whatever times you were going through at those gigs. Um, I think perfect example of that is the 100 Club in london um i've got such mad i've got also like a real collection of different things about that venue for a number of different things but one it was like the first gig that we ever first like big big gig we ever sold out it was like 350 people like to us that was huge <clears throat> um it's the first time we met weirdly outside at a mets gig and it was only later on that like remembered that interaction mm -hmm. but then it's also the first time they ever saw silver tongues vinyl in live flesh because we came to see you play there and you just got a copy and market bought a copy down yeah that was the first time i held our album in our hands in the green room there and so also i remember just <clears throat> i can't remember the first gig i saw there but i remember it was i was pretty new to london and I was like, I'm in Oxford Street and there's this fucking hugely historical venue right in the middle, like steps of like fucking central London. And it's all those memories just fucking colored with that red color of the walls that is so memorable, so striking to my, to my brain that I love it. Mm. That was a bit of a tangent, but. No, that's a beautiful <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny, isn't it? 100 Club's a good example. Like, the community around small venues is irreplaceable because it's not about, it's not, you know, anywhere. You can, you can see a live band anywhere. It's not why Molotov is memorable or why the Louisiana and Bristol's memorable or the 100 Club's memorable. It's the people that run it and how there's an aura about these things. There's an aura that's kept and there's a family that's kept. And a, and, a, and a collection of ideas and memories that's kept and housed in these small places. Like, it is irreplaceable. And it's like where new ideas are born. It's where I came up, you know, I came up to you saying how much I, I loved you guys because you played at the Louisiana about a week before that, before mm -hmm. that show. Um, were you supporting? I was trying to think which one it is. It was either, I think it was Cosmonauts. No, from Cosmonauts. Wasn't it Bank from LA called Cosmonauts? Was it a band called Charlie Boy and the Voyeurs? 
No, it wouldn't have been then. No, you didn't play. You didn't play. We, it was an Ice Age gig or Mets. It was a well, like, hundred clubs, sorry. Yeah, hundred clubs. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about Louisiana. No, yeah, it was a Mets gig. Yeah, right. So you, yeah, I can't remember who you were supporting. I, and to be honest, whoever you were supporting at the Louisiana didn't matter. Because <laughs> um, you blew my mind. And I was just like, who the fuck is this band? I was, I, you know. So yeah, it was really nice. Um, weird bumping into you at a gig in London like a week later. So I could get to it. Because I, I, I was busy working at the Louis, you know. Um, but yeah. But yeah, it's just some. It's it's like the the Adelphi and Hull is another good example. Mm-hmm. It's 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 not just some guy who owns a building who's putting music on to make money by selling alcohol. That's not how it works. No. It's like it's a labour of love, and it's kept up by the will of the people because it's important to communities, especially the Adelphi, especially the Louisiana. It's a family-run business. And more importantly, like when I worked at the Louis, I was at my, one of my worst points in, in life. I was really struggling. And the family that run the place treated me like one of their own. And I, I survived it because of that, because of the support I received at that workplace and being able to be introduced to bands like yourself and be given new ideas every night. You know, you just don't get that. The, the, the wonderful thing about that is most... Most small venues are pubs, and like the the public house <clears throat> in British history has always been a place where people meet in the community to either just share each other's company or like the what and like number of things that. So small venues that are literally just pubs. It's like it's that, but with the added thing of entertainment that keeps you there and gives you something else to talk about and grows you in that way as well. And you've and again you've just reminded me of. I can't remember which time it was we played the Louisiana, but I remember playing there. And again, we don't smoke this much weed anymore, but it's when we <laughs> smoked a lot. We smoked a lot of weed, and uh, we were outside smoking weed. And the the woman, I can't remember her name, uh, the older lady, she came out and just told us off because she was like, "Come on, <laughs> this is my small business. Just go down the road and smoke weed." Like, yeah. To be fair, that's our bad. I'm really sorry. And we went down the road and she was fine. And then we had a carvery and it was really nice. Uh, oh, Giovanni's roast, man. <laughs> He's a, he, I shouldn't say this on the internet, really, because I shouldn't, but it's funny. <laughs> Loads of people go, you do, like, you know, if you ask for, for all the meats, because Giovanni cooks it and then he serves it mm-hmm. with maybe two other people. He's always the one who cuts the meat. And if you ask for all the meats, he's like, oh, bloody hell. Every time, bloody hell, oh, fine. And then gives you, and then gives you like an unfathomable amount of, of meat. <laughs> it's like, no wonder you're annoyed, G. You don't have to give me three portions. You just give me like a third of a portion of each one. Bless yeah. him. He's Italian as fuck, like, but, um, or Sicilian as fuck. But yeah. That's the, the that's the, the interesting thing about small venues and, and catering, especially on touring as well, because you remember, well, me personally, you remember how good the food is from wherever you played. If the food's really good, that's one thing that you always be like. And that's one thing you'll, when you talk to other bands about places you've played, you're like, fuck, the food there was incredible. It's like the catering there was amazing. They looked after you so well. Um, I'm just, have you ever played? 
What's your favourite catering out there? What? Place or, or general food? Oh, no. We'll, we'll get on to that later. What's, what's been the best, like, food at a venue? The one that's jumping straight to my mind is... Have you ever played Hebden Bridge? Uh, yeah. The spicy. The, yeah. <laughs> That just sprung to my mind when we were having that conversation about the cafe. I was like, fuck that. Yeah, that Thai food at Heaven Bridge was fucking great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got William, they got original William Morris wallpaper. Oh, really? <laughs> I told them and they looked at me like I was weird. <laughs> um, yeah, they got strawberry thief on the walls, which is beautiful. Sick. And a socialist. Um, yeah, Hebden Bridge is the hottest gig we've ever done. Yeah. <clears throat> Even in November, it's fucking the hot spot moving it. <laughs> fucking wild. Yeah, it wasn't summer when we played. Actually, it might have been. Anyway, it was, it was, just, it was the hottest gig we've ever done. There was, um, there was snow outside when we played that. I, I, I was talking about this before, Sybil, that um, I remember we were driving in over and you first see it, like the time when you're driving in, you're like, have I just driven into a Harry Potter film? But then there was like a light settling of snow all over the buildings. And it was like, I was like, I think we've just gone through a wormhole into a different, into like a <laughs> different age. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? It's like a model village. I, I think it's, I think Yorkshire's my favourite place. People always, you know, you say stuff like that gigs so and people are like, he says it everywhere. But like, Yorkshire is the best. I just love it. I'd, I'd move there in a heartbeat if I didn't have a daughter in Bristol. <clears throat> yeah, I've always said that I love Yorkshire's like my favorite part of England because it's so similar to Wales. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's like yeah, the the people are great as well. Yeah, lovely people. Amazing fucking, amazing scenery. Good booze. Good boozers. Good venues. You, how's your drinking been? In lockdown. Uh, in lockdown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was only drinking when we. Like do like the Zoom quizzes with all our mates and everything, but now it's got hotter. It's got it's like slipping to like it gets to like five o'clock and I'm like, ah, oh, beer would be great right now. <laughs> so I've been slipping a little bit, but I mean, some say usual. slipping. Some some just say you're being um, what's the word? Industrious with your drinking. It's hot. What are you gonna do? Why not? Um, yeah, it's interesting because obviously. Being sober, I'm just interested in how I would have reacted to this situation. Because mm -hmm. I've, got, I've got an empty here, actually. I've got non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. And I'll drink like three at night. I've stopped. That was, that was my last one last night because I'm like, I'm getting fat. Oh, yeah. But I, I think I'd, I'd, I've started getting emails and I've started looking at um, wine shops because I want to I drink again. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna drink uh, until I'm ready, which won't be for at least another six months, a year, maybe two, whatever. But I really got into the like the diversity of wine and the culture of wine. Like natural and organic wines are obviously really cool, trendy, fashionable. But I like. I started reading this thing about this guy in Switzerland that's the biodiversity of his vineyard is he, he like normally it's like one soil and like everything's really the 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 eco verse of that vineyard is really policed 
but um he like it's really dynamic and it's like he breeds butterflies there and it's this place in switzerland so it's all really crazy and makes really interesting grapes i just found really interesting so i started looking into it i just said then i was like why am i doing this <laughs> i'm not drink but yeah so it's interesting i think people a lot of my mates are being sensible and then you've got the ones that are like life's a weekend yeah <laughs> it's dangerous as fuck Ah, well, I'm just, yeah, I'm just thinking like if we went in lockdown and all the pubs are open and it's, we've had the fucking weather that we've had, like, it would be carnage. It would be like, because when the sun comes out anyway, British people go fucking tits. So combine that with like a crazy sunny May that we've had. Ah, yes. Yeah, Bristol, Bristol seems to lose its mind. Like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) when, um, when it's hot, it's just like any excuse, but. That's why I love it. That's it. That's um, it. Well, this this topic has sparked another memory thing. Yeah. And it's the question I wanted to ask you. Fucking, I'm you flipping. Have a question I'm, for me. I'm flipping, I'm flipping it around. I'm reversing the tables. Um, no, it's more a conversation, but stage fright, because this, this is something I, I was I was going to chat like, because it small venues thing again got me like i used to have incredibly i mean i still kind of do got incredibly bad stage fright about going on and i used to combat that with drinking a lot before Uh, i went on so i'd be like yeah i'm fucking fine now it used to be like i drank like a bottle of white wine in the early days before i went on to get to get going yeah definitely i'm fine now and i can play like the sober gig still get really nervous but don't have to have the booze anymore but I just wonder what you thought of that thing. Well, I, I was the same as you, man. Like, I used to drink loads before going on just because I was nervous. But then I found the first time I did a sober gig, it was like someone had turned the lights on and, like, I was seen in colour for the first time at a show, you know? Like, it was very lucid and beautiful and way more meaningful as a performer you know like everything meant something and i started crying at shows and and that's just because i was hung over no no um and it was because like i could see everything and feel everything more alcohol for me was a huge part of my life because i needed to numb everything same as drugs like it just it, it helped me function so to speak but what i was doing is not functioning but just being just like my body was being driven around by alcohol and like my my brain and my soul and everything that I loved was just on standby for 10, 15 years. And really the honesty in performing doesn't come when you're fucked, like, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's not an honest way of doing it. Um, for me, it's not a knock. People, like some people drink and they just drink because they drink and it's great. Like Barbara drinks occasionally and is a, you know, he doesn't get wasted and it's a, it's a healthy relationship with booze, but he doesn't need to numb himself. He's not trying to. So for me, I like, I don't get nervous now really before shows because it's me. I haven't got anything to hide mm. and it's not a performance in it's the music you perform. Like I'm not, a character I don't have to worry about what I do I don't think about what I do it's all about the unthinking and being present and you can't be present if you're fucked 
but you also don't have to worry about it. I don't, I don't get nervous. And that's not because I'm honest and others aren't. I just think after losing my old dear and my daughter, I value the privilege that I have. And I, I also don't give a fuck about what people think anymore because I know, I know, I know what bad feels like and it's not being judged. It's the stuff I just mentioned, you know, um, yeah. but that's right. not belittling anyone's stage fright. And obviously I completely understand why you get nervous. It's like, it's terrifying. You've got loads of people staring at you, but I'm a narcissist and I'm selfish. So it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> I always find it, I always find it worse in smaller venues. So no, no, we can play in yeah. front of a fucking massive room and I'm like, this is great because playing in a massive room on like a bigger stage, you're almost more sheltered because you're, you can see fucking, I can see everyone perfectly well. I can hear myself really well. And kind of the rest of the room, it eventually just blows into nothing. But when you're in a smaller venue and they're fucking right here, that's when it's more scary, obviously. Yeah. I remember yeah. fucking, God, I remember uh, we were playing, it was like a Hello DIY thing when they do this thing every January with like new bands. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing the yeah, old yeah. Big Last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember for some reason Jack Daniels had sent us a bottle of, a bottle of booze, like with a fucking, with like in a case that crows on it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> drank a huge amount of it. I remember being so drunk, our manager Cal had to, grabbed me by the shoulders and slapped me because I was like I was like I was like I was really drunk I was having a good time but we were about to go on and he and I and it was only when he slapped me that I was like fuck I was like am I actually that drunk and I had to really like snap out of it I think that was a big turning that was a big turning point for me like okay I don't have to get this drunk to play a gig like it's fucking stupid no but yeah to get to that point it'd be like a fucking scene from a Motley Crue film yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I definitely rely on my, my, the boys in the band and manager being like hard on me the next day. If I do something, like if I get drunk, they're like, you're not good drunk. You know? Are you, you, what? It's not, there's no point in you drinking before a show, definitely after a show. I'm just a bit of an asshole. Yeah. Oh, it's good. You know, like it's just, it, it's just balance, isn't it? It's the same as everything. Yeah. I'm just not good at balance at all. Um, right. I'll start with a question. Hit me. Brett Baker on Instagram says, what is your perfect Sunday? <laughs> um... <laughs> So you just have no conversation. It's definitely going to revolve around booze because it's it's, yeah. been, it's been in the pub, having just had a probably pretty hungover, having a fucking great roast, and then just drinking with your mates in the pub afterwards. That's a beautiful Sunday, especially if it's sunny, like sunny May we've had. Would you do board games if it was winter? Winter would board games, prefer, yeah. Would you prefer a hot Sunday or a winter Sunday? You know, yeah. close pub vibes. See, now you mentioned that because when it's hot, you can be like, hey, have a few, and then you want to go to the park, just be in the park. But when it's cold, you're like, I don't want to go outside, so let's just stay here until it closes. Pub <laughs> garden, of course. Yeah. I bet you there's some amazing pubs around your way in Wales, isn't there? Country pubs. Yeah, there are some nice ones. I mean, I live in, 
my family live in a it's like a 2000 2500 population town and i remember growing up there's like 13 pubs so 2000 people 13 pubs so there's like the per head of <laughs> capita for pubs but there are some really nice ones really super old ones all with like the original interiors still intact but then yeah they can't stay open because it's not viable to for 2000 people to drink <laughs> no it's not fair is it no i i um i i fucking yeah pubs i think pubs are really important i think i think it's it's my it would be my sanctuary sober or not i just love sitting around a table with my mates yeah just I'm chatting nice good jukebox or whatnot right well that was a, that was an all right start your question the answer was great question i should have a look really I, I what i should do is have a quick look and pick pick some really fucking shit ones <laughs> tough ones i mean not not rubbish um the vijas t-h-i-j-s on twitter other than the UK, do you have a favourite audience or country to play in? Mm. I'm going to piss off other countries to play in. If I pick a favourite. <laughs> Just because one's the best doesn't mean everyone else is rubbish. True, 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 true. Um, Netherlands, Holland, definitely. Correct. Yeah, just for every reason. The venues are great. The audiences are great. It was the first place we played in on the continent. Weed is legal. <laughs> Fucking, I just stopped talking about weed. You love weed. I don't, I don't even love weed that much anymore. Where's your rasta hat? You got one of those like <laughs> those netted things. Big Che Guevara wall hanging. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know Holland because every time like the venues are played Vera Groningen. It's my favorite venue. Absolutely amazing venue. For all those reasons, you can stay in there again. Fucking top, top thing for a favorite venue of mine. You can sleep in the venue because you played, you can, you, the van's safe, you're fucking right next to it. You don't have to go anywhere. You can literally go straight upstairs and go to bed if you want, or get as wasted as you want and then go to bed. 100% most important thing. Vera, you can do that because they've got that, those little beds upstairs. And they've got a screen printing press there. Make their yeah. own posters there. Yeah. The thing about what <clears throat> would explain Vera in Groninger, I think is how you pronounce it, but I always try and pronounce it and everyone looks at me like I'm weird. Groningen. Um, it's, it's magic. Uh, so it's a co-op. It's in Holland. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of the people are volunteers. I think everyone might be volunteers who work there. Yeah, the idea nice. is that they get tickets to shows as payment, which you can imagine just wouldn't work in this country. I think it's such a beautiful scheme. Yeah. Which allow, you know, it allows the money to stay in the venue. They've got a screen printing press, so all, all their art is centralized in-house, which means there's a feel to it. There's a language there from the venue. Um, it also creates a bit of excitement, like what's my Vera poster going to look like and things like that. It's, and they have a tradition there where every year all the staff members vote for their favorite show of the year and then the winner goes on the wall so there's just names and the year all around the edge of the room um and then they have all behind backstage is the history of the place with everyone that's ever played there on a poster 
on posters dotted around and it just feels like an institution and again it's like the perfect example of a community-led thing for the community bringing the world to your town which is what glastonbury started as mm. the ethos that the glastonbury people can't travel the world so i'll bring the world to glastonbury and now look where it is yeah but that's the, that's the that's the i think that's why i chose netherlands because there are so many of those venues in that country mm. in every town that run almost it's like a model and <clears throat> some of them have subsidies from the government to keep them going which is incredibly important because that's why venues close because they can't afford to stay open so if they have support from the government as well as support from communities that's the way venues stay open there's a place called echo and utrecht absolutely amazing venue a venue called acu similar in eindhoven there's a place called Stroomhouse, which is i think Stroomhouse is my favorite venue just because really yeah it's it's in the it's in the part of town that used to be where the old Philips factories were, which got completely regenerated now. It's like skate park, venues, cafes. It's, like, it's a really like hip, like really cool part of town. But this place is actually, again, you can sleep upstairs, smoke inside, got a screen printing express. The food is incredible. Like they just treat you, treat you like you're coming home from the war. Like you've been welcomed back into yeah, the family. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, Streamhouse was like the first place we experienced that. And we were just like, well, it's like, we sleep upstairs. They're like, they're like, where are you sleeping? They're like, this is your bedroom. <laughs> it's like above the stage. And I'm like, and they're like, this is a beer, for, a fridge full of beer. Dinner is at eight o'clock. Enjoy your show. And we're like, yes, I'm going to have the fucking best show because you've just made that possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they have the privilege of, of like minded hard-working egalitarian type people that want to make it happen and also yeah. a government that subsidize it so yeah. it would be easy to turn around to our country people and say let's make it happen but without any infrastructure and help from the government it's never going to happen and especially yeah. with tyrannical fucking landlords and unfortunately apathetic fans it will never happen but um we can we can but try james um have you, uh, have you ever played in, oh, now I've got to get it right, otherwise I'll sound like a prick. I think it might be Ghent, Ghent Capital, Switzerland. It's that big old riding school that's now a squat, but it's not like, you know, fashionable London style squat, squat. It's like a squat that's been there for decades. Um, and the police are, it's like an independent state. Police aren't allowed to go in. There's like, oh, no, okay, no. Okay. One, Ghent is, is in Belgium. You were talking about. Um, Baden? No. No, it's in. No. See, I knew I'd get it wrong, and now I look like a prick. No, because I'll just be right back. Um, fuck. I'm terrible with geography. Oh, no, I'm not. Terrible with names. Oh, God damn it. It's in Copenhagen, and it's no. called. No, it's not. Are you not? It's definitely not Switzerland. It's the capital of Switzerland. Are we not? <sighs> oh, I see. Okay. The of Switzerland. Fuck it. I'm really sorry. I'm really <laughs> sorry. I don't know what the place is called, and it's really bad because it seems like I'm an ingrate, but I love it. It's one of my favorite places to play. They've got like three different venues within it. One small, one massive, one medium, obviously. But that's like residential and it's like, it's, 
it's great. I feel bad that I don't know which. Yeah, now I can't stop thinking of this place in Copenhagen because it's kind of it's it's almost it's very similar. So it's got like a skate park in it as well. Is that um the one that's named after uh, a bug? Um, uh, like a what are those things called? Cockroach. Is it got really low ceilings and at like a long, shallow stage? Yes. That's like a squat. Christiania. It's in Christiania. Christiania. Because I remember when they say you have to say Christiania. Christiania. <laughs> Christiania. Yeah, sorry, that's what I was thinking of. Is that not what you were talking about? No, no. It, okay, we sorry. played there as well. That was cool. Um, super hot and intense. And like, you know, especially with someone like you, because it's like five foot eight ceiling we played there with Mets as well that was fucking oh. mad yeah Mets are a fucking beautiful bunch of human beings aren't they incredible love those motherfuckers what a wonderful band mm-hmm. really just so Joy we've been really lucky I'm sure you have as well like just lucky with the people we toured with yeah it's incredibly lucky do, do, do you find you got to tour with you... me <laughs> We we still pat ourselves on the back for that one to this day. <laughs> well, um, I mean, you you guys when we toured with you seemed like a good touring band. As in, you enjoyed it. Mm. Do you miss it like a lot? Is it was it a huge part of your life? Yeah. Were you, what were you, what were your plans? We don't really well, want to go into too much to depress yourself and the. But it'd be interesting to know, did you have lots of things planned tour-wise? Well, this year was going to be interesting anyway, because a huge amount of this year was relying on South by Southwest for us. So when we were going to go to South by Southwest, we were going to get an American label, we were going to get an American agent with the, the plan to then plan the rest of the year based off that. So then we could go to America at the end of the year with a new album released so when i got cancelled we were like ugh. like we had a few festivals booked over the summer but again because we haven't released a new album it wasn't anything nothing was set in stone nothing was completely booked so could have been worse um still not great like going not going to america was obviously a big kick in the nuts but yeah there are more important things to worry about so and it will it's not going anywhere it's still going to be there hopefully yeah, um, absolutely. Well, that's the that's the thing. I mean, everyone's going to be starting from that point again. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we bands like Idols are very lucky in where we're where we were at and where we're at now. And but <clears throat> so it's not even you know like because we have a merch side of our business where we we have people that are, you know know us and like love us and willing to support us we can sell merch and keep going that way for a lot of bands it's not the case and it's just mm. a black hole and just waiting to see what happens after it so yeah like again like yeah we we make a huge amount of our income from from merch but a lot of that is at shows so like we sell like a fair bit online like we'll do all right but um again like the reason we sold so many albums and and t-shirts last year was at shows because that's the entire that's the main place where people like because they see us and they're like fucking yes i like this band i want to buy something that's what i do when i go see bands it's like i'll go to the most table like mid-set and be like i fucking want to buy something for this band because i love this band Mm. so 
uh, the knowing and like, yeah, we can do a lot of the online stuff and we did the t-shirt run just to the yellow t-shirt. That was something. Yeah. Easy. So it's sick. <laughs> and uh, that did really well. So that's give us, given us a bit to go on. Do um, you, you find like, um, that you guys have embraced the internet as a way of keeping connected with people, not just your mates. I mean, like as a band with your, with your audience. Yeah. It's been, I I was surprised how much we have. (laughs) Again, we were like, we were a bit slow off the mark. And there was a huge amount of this, that like live stuff going on, the live streaming. So we were like, yeah, we can do all that. And I did one with John from John which was nice. And then we were like, fuck it, let's just do a cover. So let's do like a cover of a pop song, do like a funny video where we're all just at home. And it came out much better than we thought it was going to come out. And considering yeah. we did it all like on GarageBand, I did like the vocals on my phone. Um, and we just sent it to the guy who, the guy who made our album essentially. So he made this fucking deformed little creature into a, like a, an actual sounding really good song. Um, do you want to let the people know what it was and where, you, where they can find it? It was a cover of The Weeknd song called Blinding Lights. And it's on YouTube. Just search Crows, Lockdown, Blinding Lights. <laughs> it will come up. And again, it was just like a, a funny idea. A lot of aggressive pointing you do. Yeah, it's sorry. just scaring I mean, people. Do you know what I mean? No, it's getting it in their, main, in their memory. Now they yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and again, that came out just as like a, a silly idea and so we're kind of we, we're thinking we're going to cook up another one see see what it we was can received do. well james it was yeah okay yeah yeah, and, yeah and i think because it's literally just us at home and i think we're doing exactly what everyone else is doing so i think people like that for that reason um what's the um i keep saying sick what word do you say a lot that you wish you could eradicate from your vocabulary <laughs> sick is definitely probably one of them dope say so dope probably too much for being a a thirty-one-year-old white male. Well, you like like the old, uh, <laughs> old jazz cigarettes, don't you, mate? God damn it! No, um, like I, I said it. Rec- I say it a lot. And um, this, I was at, I was DJing at some night, and this doctor guy, it's a boyfriend of this other guy, he just really criticised me for using the word. He was like, "Why are you saying that?" And I was like, "Why, why am I not?" <laughs> a little prick. And then I Damn. thought about it, and I was like, "Yeah, I should say it more often because it winds up people that get wound up by bullshit of way too much emotion on their hands and not enough fucking substance." Yeah, true. <laughs> so yeah, sick. Um, all right, TJ Keeney on Instagram. Nice. Was album number two written in a dark room again, or have you guys switched on a light bulb? <laughs> I love that. I love that when you, because we led a lot of our press off the last time with that, and it's like it's, it was completely true. We recorded it all in the dark, in the pitch black, and again, I think we've kind of always done it. Because I remember the first EP, I did all the vocals in pitch black, and it does get you in the mood. But yeah. this this album, we we were we were kind of crafting it in the studio a lot more than like because the first album we just went in, we we're like, this is it, let's just record it. But this album, we've, um, we were kind of like making it more in the studio, which we've never done before. So we were like, we were like, ah, oh, changing stuff here and there, and being like, what about this? Changes to that. This should be like that. So we couldn't be in the dark <laughs> because we couldn't see each other. But um, yeah, 
it was nice because it, it felt like we were actually making an album and like crafting an album in the studio, which I've never done before. And it was sort of like a really fun experience. Quite a little bit more stressful because it was a bit more unknown and like some of the days were like really tiring and really long. But I think it definitely shows in the album that we've, it was like, yeah, it's a bit like more loose feeling and like not as regimented, but yeah. That makes sense. I mean, do you do you find did you find there was more more or less pressure in that situation? Because obviously, um, for people that might not think about things like this, because obviously it's not going to be loads of musicians listening to this necessarily or watching this. It's like a lot of people write. Well, there's infinite ways you can write, but how how do you write now? How did you write the current? The album that we're talking about now, album number two, how did that come about? And what would be your what would be your suggestion for people that wanna wanna start making music as a band? How would you say is a good way to start songs? It's hard because <clears throat> we've we've always kind of written pretty much the same in that someone will have an idea, like Steve will have a guitar line idea, um, and then we'll all be in the room and we'll jam for lack of a better word. And so we have a kind of smoke rough song, smoke loads of weed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I'll sing over the top. I'll be like just writing lyrics in the corner, kind of singing like in my head or then come in, try something, come away if I don't like it. Um, record it, take it home, sit at home, listen to it, write more add on to it and then it kind of builds up into this final finished piece mm. it's a it's a, a grinding way of doing it it's not a very time efficient way of doing it but that's the way we've always done it and it's the way we've always come out like there's never been one single songwriter and like there's never been like this is a song everyone play along because i don't know it's difficult to do because i can't play guitar like fucking steve plays guitar he, he can't sing like i, I can sing I definitely can't play drums or bass as well as Jit and Sam or at all. So <laughs> um, I don't know. Advice to people writing is just depends what kind of music you want to write, really. Again, when I'm writing softer, like my own solo acoustic stuff, I'll just sit there and write until I like what I've written, mm. which is weird. I'm pretty critical of both Crows and my own stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that will get laid by the wayside and we'll never see the light of day but you've kind of got you've got to write the shit to get the good so write as much as you can and then edit i think is my best advice does that make sense yeah. i mean yeah 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 that's good advice i think that idea the especially if you're writing in a sense of a democratic way like you do and idols do as well same way mm -hmm. is that you can't be sentimental about your ideas because just because it's a good idea doesn't mean it's the right idea for your band. That's what individuality and creative language is about is, is like, you know, it's about developing your own dialogue with yeah. the world and it might not be the right time. Just fuck it off. And if it's really good, it will come back. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's crafting your, identity and who you who you want to be as an artist and a band and a performer 
Um, when Crows first started, we all we did was love. We loved the Black Lips and we loved like Dick Dale. We wanted to be like a surf, surf garage rock band. I can hear that in part, yeah. And uh, and it was good. Like we we made loads of songs like that, and it was pretty cool. <clears throat> but it wasn't anything like very new and like exciting that we were doing. Like we like the gigs were good. We were enjoying it. But then we took as we had, we took a trip to Wales to this really secluded town in Wales um, and got a studio for the weekend and again I'm sorry but we smoked a lot of weed <laughs> we, we don't smoke this much weed anymore we used to loads not anymore yeah hey it's <laughs> whatever man you know? um, and we wrote Silver Tongues I, we wrote I maybe mean, like we pretty much only wrote one song the whole weekend but write, wrote, writing Silver Tongues was like this is what we want to sound like this is our sound yeah that then was a big turning point we were like yeah this is what we want to be and that's when crows really started for me that's when we were like yeah this is what it should be sick so it was like a whole weekend of writing music and it came with one song but that one song was so important to what crows became it was kind of worth it magic i love it yeah, I love, yeah it's an interesting thing that turning point where because it's coming on from what you were saying before really is like if you're all kind of having your own part in the language of crows like it suddenly it will all fall into place where it is that is what it is that's what you are as a collective of ideas and a collective of languages suddenly crows has its own dialect yeah 100%. yeah it's great Nice. Silver Tongues was it. Mm. The apex. And it took us five years to, and it took us five years to make an album, so it's fine. <laughs> Better late than never, man. It's a fucking amazing album. Second album's incredible as well, by the way. Thank you. Can't wait to have it out there. Neither can I. Um all right. Saul Dog. Saul is in biblical. Dog is in woof on Instagram. What's your favorite Radiohead song? Um, Sam's gonna hate me for this, but I don't like Radiohead, sadly. Okay. Um, Sam is a huge Radiohead fan, but me, not so much. I've just never, again, everyone's gonna hate me. I just never really got it. <clears throat> and again, we saw him at Primavera, and I was just stood there like, why why am i here <laughs> i don't know why what do you think do you like radiohead i think um they're better than everything else but <sighs> maybe the bad seeds the grinder man yeah, that, um, but that's, that, i think that's I what mean, i think there's like there's like there's a group of bands you don't have to like them i i, I don't suppose you, you I, I can't expect you to go around slagging them off you really you appreciate how good they are yeah exactly don't, yeah i don't hate them i just have never just, got it they i think never they're in that group they're in yeah. that group you know there's the beatles um radiohead the ocs uh nick cave and the bad seeds see i'm know. gonna say i'm a bigger beach boys fan than i am a beatles fan people beach get really be in there. people get really angry when i say that but that's just me People that get angry about people's tastes and opinions are so insecure. They're like, 
little Rottweilers that have been castrated. Don't know why. <laughs> True. Fuck them. They're stupid pricks. Um, yeah, that's it. That's a beautiful thing. You have your Beatles. I've got my Radiohead. Some people have their Beatles. Some people have their. You don't have your Beatles. You have your <laughs> Beach Boys. Beach Boys. I mean, <laughs> my favourite Radiohead song is National Anthem or Reckoner. Um, if you like Radiohead, that might mean something. But really, what's your favourite so-and-so song? Doesn't really mean much. What's your favourite Beach Boys song? Uh, <laughs> well, my favourite Beach Boys is Don't Worry Baby. And it's funny because I remember at that same Primavera, um, Brian Wilson was playing. I was to go see him. And it was like the sun was just going down. And he started playing Don't Worry Baby. And I had my sunglasses on. That's probably pretty... I was on a level anyway. And my girlfriend turned to me and she just like, just like a single tear like rolling down my cheek. She's like, you okay? I was like, I'm crying. Because <laughs> I love that song so much. I love being so much. She was like, she just grabbed my hand, took me like right to the, right to the front. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. Amazing. I, I was at that same show, both Radiohead and Brian Wilson. And I just, it, to me, I didn't get Brian Wilson. It looked like he was propped up on stage, being held by some sort of splint. And it, isn't it like... He doesn't look like a well man. I no, just, no. I'm not really sure if he's being coerced into touring or whether he actually wants to do it. But I don't, I, you know, I've never listened to Beach Boys. For me, I cried watching Radiohead. I was also on a level. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I adore Radiohead, as you probably adore Beach Boys. So each to their own. Yeah. Um, I didn't pick these questions. I might quickly, I'm going to, okay, whilst I'm looking, I'm going to not be making eye contact with you or screen eye contact. So if you could, whilst I'm doing this, there's one more question. I'll fuck it. I'll read this. Whilst, and then you can answer this whilst I don't really want to listen to this either because this sort of thing. What's your favorite idol song? Uh. Mm, that's tough, man. And especially, I don't know you, if you get it, when you tour with a band, and that's why I quite like you guys, is you change your set quite often every night. Not a lot of bands do that. When you tour with other bands, you're like, they play the same set every night, and you're like, you know what's coming next. And you know songs that you wouldn't have known before, like, like the back of your hand or whatever. But you guys change everything up, which I love. But favorite song? Thing probably white privilege. Ah, because I wasn't expecting that. Oh, mate, that's like that's again. That's one. That's one of those songs that you wish you'd written. For me, oh, and that's a nice thing to say. It's funny because driving. Steve is a fucking mad driver. He like he's so terrifying. And with Steve in the car, he drives like nightmare now everywhere. And. I can't remember what it was. It was touring. We were back in Russian to get there. Steve was driving erratically and he loves that song as well. And we put that song on and he's driving like nine mile an hour down a really wet fucking highway with you 
growling in your ear with that fucking song is so adrenaline inducing. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I love that song. That's, I think that's definitely, yeah, one of my faves. Like privilege. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like, I didn't like playing it for a while and then I got back into it again. Um, Silver Tongues is my favourite song of yours. Solid Funnily song. enough. Important song. I told you that before <clears throat> and I said it was a boring choice because it's Silver Tongue. And it's cool, it's cool. It's your apex song, apparently. Yeah. So and like again, we, we wrote Silver Tongues <clears throat> like, there's only there's only one place to put silver tongues in in a show and it's at the beginning because yeah again weirdly we like we tried it our last gig we played was that south by southwest fundraiser gig and <clears throat> we didn't open with it we we're like let's not open with it. we've opened with that song for fucking years now let's not open with it let's open with a new song which is a stupid idea but <laughs> yeah we then just came back on and did it as an encore which is fucking weird really stupid but um when we were like really, really like first starting out we were like, it's a great song because no one's ever in the venue when you start playing. And Silver Tongues, we can like, we were like, let's just play it and we play the intro and you can drag it on. Cause like band, people like start filtering in when band starts. Again, it's like that way of just playing something whilst everyone comes into the room. Yeah. So they don't miss anything really. And it's a great song to be like, fuck the starting. It's like, it's really like repetitive, boom, boom, boom. Fucking get everyone in the room. And then once everyone's in the room, it kicks into that fast bit and everyone's in there. So smart. It's a genius. It's a genius move. <laughs> um, and like also, you know, it's the start. It's the start of a journey. It's a great start to the journey. I think I love it because it's, it makes me feel, it makes me feel how I should feel listening to it because it's, it's similar to my language in a way I, love music i just think it, it's very astute simple in its what's the word the way it makes you feel is simple oh yeah thank you um thank you okay right crows this is death moans crows are <laughs> underrated as fuck correct um although Underrated, maybe just under, under represented because you're represented beautifully. People love you, just not heard enough. I'd say that that's a more underrated. It's not like people listen and go, shit. <laughs> uh, not going to ask you about COVID-19. It's enough of that shit in the world. We all are in the same boat, yada, yada. Do you make any forms of art? Question mark. Painting? Question mark. Montage? Question mark. Curating? Do you do you curate? <laughs> do I've ever been curating during in lockdown? Um, well, I mean, like, you know. I'm not a great artist. I do enjoy making art. I enjoy drawing. I've I've actually been. Uh, my mum is an artist, and she has just like an at-home screen printing kit, like a little setup that she does. So I've been doing that a bit, which has been really fun. I fucking, hang on, one sec. <clears throat> but it's, it's like the kind of screen print where you just have to scalpel out 
the art. Like she says, no like light box oh, no. and everything. It's fucking a real pain in the ass. But made this t-shirt. No way. Where it was because I'm a big Woody Guthrie fan. That's I want to make like a bootleg Woody Guthrie t-shirt. You're a bootlegger um, now. Yeah. <laughs> I normally don't like bootleggers, but I like you. Uh, one of my favorite things of your last tour was seeing Bobo and Lee go and buy a t-shirt off one of the blokes from outside. Yeah. <laughs> and it had, it, was, it had a print on the front and the back, which is more than ours. So we were a bit like, is this better than our merch? <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah. For anyone watching, um, don't buy bootleg merch. No, it's like I think that, that's the definitely... agent's money instead of actually no one wants to give estate agents money just nah. stop buying m fucking bootleg merch you bastards that's definitely a, a box to tick though to know that you've you've made it at some point when there's bootlegs outside your gig you've, you've reached a a certain caliber yeah i fucking i hate the ones that are just ripping off the design that i've done it's like you're giving a cunt a thief stolen my idea and just mm -hmm. lazily printed it out themselves and make him it's like it's it's half of our income they're, they're the same as like scalpers like it's, they're in the same league really and they're often fucking nasty people but <laughs> yeah they're not they're never like yeah the guy you ever tried talking to a scalper they're fucking horrible people <laughs> they're just middlemen it's like fucking just fucking loan sharks and shit fuck yeah. But yeah, like it, it just seems weird that you, a fan wouldn't see that. But do you know what? Each to their own. Spend your money however you want. Um, I remember once when I was fucking really young, very young. Uh, <laughs> I think it was I was seeing Slayer in Newport. I can't remember where in Newport. What's the big venue in Newport? It was big. Um, big venue. Yeah. Is there one? Newport Arena. Is that a venue? I can't remember. Sounds right. But I wanted this long sleeve bootlegged Slayer t-shirt from outside because I was poor and young and it was really busy. <clears throat> and I was like, yeah, I'll take a large long sleeve, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I slipped a fiver into his hand and legged it, even though it was supposed to be like 15 quid. And I just fucking ran off and it's fine. So I, I got my own back. <laughs> yeah. If, if you want to steal bootleg stuff, go ahead, kids. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, nah. Uh, also, some bootleg stuff is sick. If it's not a rip-off of my design and it's, like, really bad, probably... If people, yeah, if people want to make... There's a guy... I saw, I saw a guy at a gig wearing a Crow's T-shirt. I was like, that's not a Crow's T-shirt. Like, that's not an official Crow's T-shirt. But he was quite a, a big fella. And I was like, it's definitely because we don't have his size and he wants to wear a Crow's T-shirt. I was like, that's complete, fair enough. Make yeah, it yeah, yeah. That way. Um, the DIY DIY match is sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got a fan called Brian. He um he made his own crow's beanie, and I was like, that's fucking great. It's like we should make beanies. <laughs> um uh all right. What what band, in your opinion, has the best merch? Like, it's something that I always am fascinated by. I love merch. Mets, man. Hayden's art is fucking incredible. <clears throat> they kind of, that is their language, isn't it? It's yeah. like, you, a Met's design is a Met's design. It's yeah. Sick. Yeah, I love Met's art. I love your guys' 
stuff. I love our stuff because Elliot is amazing. Yeah, Elliot's fucking great. Um, Elliot, uh, Elliot Lane. Elliot Lane. Elliot Lane is the artist that does all the crow's work and um, also is a wonderful tattoo artist. Um, yes, I think Dev's been. Dev's got quite a lot of stuff down by hasn't he? Dev has got the, the worst collection of tattoos I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like he's got drunk and put a blindfold on and put loads of weird temporary tats on his body from someone who's designed them on acid. Not in a good way. <laughs> uh, oh, Dev. So he's oh, I sent, I sent print stick. I sent Dev, I sent Dev one of my the one of the screen prints I've done in lockdown. Actually, he he asked for one, so I sent him one. Oh, nice! But I didn't put a card in it, so I think the postman just crumpled it through the letterbox. <laughs> Sick. That was I mean, my my fault. That was definitely my bad, not the postman's yeah, fault. Yeah, it's, it's your fault. Working the very hard. Postman and delivery man are not diligent in any fucking way. Having no respect for other people's <laughs> property. Yeah, it's definitely your fault, James. <laughs> That's factor. That is factor in the neoliberal libertarian fucking selfish bastards. Right. Okay. Only joking, kids. Uh. I just, this is now just um, just bullshit comments. Hold on. This is the internet, isn't it? Uh, good thing this isn't live. <laughs> Venues. I'm trying to think. Okay. Oh, this is a good one. This is yeah. a really good one. Hit me. Do you think it's harder today to have a concrete influence on people with strong messages in music. So do you, do you feel like it's harder to kind of um, make an impact on people through your music, like philosophically or, or morally or just your message, whether it's artistic or whatever, like your narrative, do you find that? Because there's so much noise going on. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, to cut through as a band is, is always the challenge to remain relevant, to remain interesting, and to get to a level where you can be relevant and interesting is hard. And I think the visual aspect is a huge element of that. Like having a strong visual concept as a band is incredibly important. That's why I think Elliot with us has been so incredible because it's instantly recognizable. Elliot's work and, and a Crow's t-shirt or a Crow's album or whatever. Um, to have a message, I think that's interesting because you can kind of go two ways with it. You can be extremely vocal and extremely opinionated is the wrong word. Just have a strong opinion and, and it, that be your, your focal on it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think, ugh, I don't know, with, with our stuff, especially with my lyrics, they're always a bit, they're always quite open to interpretation because I know what they're about, but sometimes it's not obvious what they're about. I think a good example of that is we've got a song called Crawling and that song is about Margaret Thatcher's state funeral. But I think if you didn't know that, you would have no idea that's what that song is about. And that's quite, that's often a theme in, 
in my in my lyric writing anyway that it's probably about something you don't think it's about yeah but i kind of like that because it leaves it leaves the the audience open to interpret and take from it whatever they want absolutely but absolutely i mean that's it is you know not everyone has to be as literal as um some bands <laughs> you know what like the most impactful writers but, for me but, but you do it so like that's why i love you because you do it so well and with such such passion that people fucking listen to you and it's and that's important because there needs to be those bands because i i, I don't have the the confidence to do that as a as a performer or a singer and like again like i i i i'm not a very chatty person like do the most you'll get like i'm i feel like we're talking like one-on-one -on -one now i keep forgetting that there's going to be hundreds of people watching this but thousands hundreds of thousands <laughs> hundreds of people 20 people are gonna watch it but the Again, when you come have a conversation with me at the most stand, like I want to have a conversation with you about and have a deep like one-on-one, -on -one, not deep one-on-one, -on -one, but that's when you'll actually get most out of me. It's like, I don't fucking speak on stage because again, I don't know if it's stage fright, but I, I never have the confidence to come out and be like, say something really bold and really powerful on stage, even though I really want to because I say, I always get nervous. I think I'm going to mess it up or something or not or yeah. be misconstrued or anything, but the beautiful thing about you is you're so your message is so powerful and you're so you ooze confidence and so many words I want to say I can't think of right now. <laughs> but it's well, just I believe you when you speak, which is you. which is really important. And I think yeah. you're very important for this this generation of than in this time in, in, in history. Like it's really, yeah, it's important. I think, I think there is, there's a balance there. Like, I think, I think a lot of people make assumptions about me that I, I watched an interview with Jason Williamson while well, sleeping was recently. And he said something similar to me, which is I don't want to be seen as the next Billy Bragg or I'm not the next Billy Bragg or something. Just similar to what I said, and it was kind of misconstrued, obviously when it was rewritten mm -hmm. but like what I mean is I have a huge respect for Billy Bragg but I want to be in it I want to be a musician I am a musician I just happen to use the, the music and the platform as the band to express what I'm truly interested in which is the welfare of the people I love and the people I don't just as a balance I just think there's a huge imbalance society and there's a class war going on ideologically and literally where poor people are dying in our country because of deprivation. So it's just a, it's a point of interest. And I say it with conviction because I believe it, but I'd say Billy Bragg would want to be known as a musician first and not a politician. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'm fascinated by the music. I'm fascinated by more, your music. I, I believe you as much as I think you believe me. I, I see the conviction in your lyrics and your performance because it's believable, because you're being honest. And that comes out in how music is felt and projected from us. It's like, whether I'm talking about something, you're talking about something, it's just the, the palette and the way we say it 
is just slightly differently. Like Van Morrison's Astral Weeks paints a vivid picture. It just is allegorical and, and mythical and ethereal at points, but he fucking believed it, whether it was, I don't know, instantaneous or not. It's just like, there are different ways of doing it. No matter what the guys, it's, it, the believable ones are the ones that are loved, truly loved, not because they're a pop musician, but you know, as in like manufactured, they're, they're fashionably liked, not stylistically liked, you know, like yeah, the greats are all loved because of their sincerity. And, uh, yeah, and I guess your message is, a message is if something affects you, so if I have affected people, that's fucking great. And it's, what was the question? I can't remember. <laughs> Do you feel that you could have a concrete impact on people in the current state of um, overstimulus, we'll call it? Hmm. That's a good question. So it's hard, isn't it? Because yeah, I'll tell you, you do have a concrete impact on it. Because like, like I said, like, I came up to you in London after seeing you a week before, and I see hundreds of bands at, at my job at the Louis. Like I would see bands all the time, and every now and again, I'd be impacted by the the nature of the show because a live show is a human interaction, and you feel it. It's a f physiological thing as well as a emotional thing. And your music and your presence as a band is impactful, so it does. But I guess it's how how you feel you do that and whether you do as an artist. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I'm 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 blurring the lines between <clears throat> being political or just being an artist, and and there isn't any reason why those two things should be separated or should cross. It's again, every artist is different. Every artist. <clears throat> creates what they create to give to other people essentially so if that makes an impact on people then i'm glad it will thank you very much um dandy in the underworld says fire emoji fire emoji fire emoji uh sup sherbert says fuck yeah fuck yeah fuck yeah uh will there be new music from crows this year <clears throat> yes, it's the short answer. Good. You don't want to share anymore, is that? Yeah, because we literally had a, a, a Zoom meeting yesterday about plan of action. So it's Sick. still in the early days of planning. But yes, is the, the answer. Um, well, I look forward to it. Um, Matt McClelland. Why do you think loud shouting music is so attractive to so many? Is it playing to something base and primitive in us? And can you two lads please do another joint Belfast show at some point? I sadly missed the last one. Well, Matt McClelland, um, we don't repeat our support acts and nor should we considering we should be supporting Crows next time. Um, that so show that was fucking really bit. cool. That venue was amazing. Yeah, what was that? Belfast Music Hall. Oh, yeah. Um, the, yeah. That's when we had to have a few nice pants of Guinness afterwards as well. 
that fucking was place is incredible. I, I love that venue. Apparently, I said because my Bowen's wife's family were at the back. They are Auntie. Wait, we met his Auntie. What's his her Auntie's name? His Auntie's name? Oh shit, Auntie Pauline. Yes, <laughs> Pauline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's great. She's a character. Yeah. But I said, uh, oh, the Kervix are at the back. Uh, but apparently, in my accent, the way I said it at the time, and I said, oh, the Catholics are the back. <laughs> and like, obviously, people uh, who knew me were just like, mm. what? What the fuck <laughs> would you say that? But it's like, and then afterwards, they, why did you say the Catholics at the back? I was like, no, the Kervix, the Kervix. <laughs> <laughs> like, what a weird fucking thing. People must have thought I was such a cunt. <laughs> um, so anyway uh, why do you think loud shouting music is so attractive to so many I mean similarly it's kind of answered in his question is it playing to something base and primitive in us yeah I guess so and I guess just I mean when did when did punk start punk started in the 70s when there was punk, an awful punk started in the fucking 50s with blues musicians again a rebellious people fucked off with the government and the sort of the way the world is it's always been a reaction to that in my opinion so as long as people are angry at what's going on around them then they're going to want to listen to someone fucking screaming their head off about it I, it's it's a feeling as well isn't it like it's same it's the, that that feeling when the same thing i get when i listen to white privilege and the fucking band terrified that adrenaline that builds up inside of you and that heat that like fucking rises in the back of your ears from like listening to something that gets you really fucking pumped up and really on edge. It's a, it's a, that's an endorphin releasing feeling. So yeah. I mean, I loud shouting music really is like stay with me by, uh, I've forgotten their name. Stay with me, baby. It's loud shouting music. Really screaming Jay Hawkins. I think, you know, it's that age old thing where white people think they've invented something that's been around through all races and all genders for a long time. Subversiveness in music is, um, you know, it's art. It's the only way we get to express. So yeah. it's like, it's really important because it's the, the most visceral form of expression, isn't it? Music in a creative sense. I think you just can't replace it also yeah. it's good music isn't it yeah there's lots of loud shouting music that isn't so popular because it's dog shit <laughs> yeah true <laughs> um david williams s1 says heart heart emoji crows need more recognition they slap fuck yeah Slapping. you slap <laughs> you slap you slap it's a, it's a, no, you slap which version of keep on loving you do you prefer the og reo speedwagon <laughs> the reo speedwagon version or the superior version covered by the donners what ryan wisniak what kind of fucking politician are you putting some rhetorical shit at the end there or the superior version I'm sorry, yeah, I'm a bit loaded. That to be honest, the Oreo <laughs> Speedwagon is probably better because the singer manages to put like 16 different con uh, vowel sounds in one vowel, which I find quite impressive. What about you, James? I'm supposed to be asking you a question. 
Aria Speedwagon or the Donners? Who'd win in a fight? Uh, Aria Speedwagon with still with all those fucking synths. Army of synthesizers. Army of synths is always better than one synth as well. You're not going to win the synth war with one synth fire. No. Um, Let's get back to venues. Come on. Do we here for the venues, not for Aria Speedwagon. <laughs> Well, I think the idea is that we are in ourselves right now housing lots of new ideas and conversation, which is the essence of an independent venue. So true. we can go back though. All right. No, um, true. Sorry. All right. Worst, worst venue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, oh yeah. All right. It was part of one of the other questions. I didn't, I didn't either ask it or we didn't get onto it. No one cares. What, um, which country has oh, do you do you think Holland has the best audiences as well? Because I don't think they do. They've got great audiences, but they're not number one for me. They aren't the craziest audiences. Crazy, craziest audiences for me are not necessarily the best audiences. Yeah, that's good because point. crazy is like to me. As a care worker for adults with learning difficulties, that okay. phrase means something negative because it's the unhinged nature of people. A crowd, an audience can turn into a mob real fucking quick. So I like, I, I don't like crazy. I like passionate. Passionate. What would be, what would be your ideal audience? <clears throat> Somebody holds me up when I'm crowd surfing. So when I jump in, I'm not just going straight to the floor. Absolutely. And you're a tall man, so that would need more than me. Because I, I, I'm heavier than you probably, but I don't <laughs> cover as long. Crowd, they can, I, when I can touch the roof in the venue with my feet when I'm crowd surfing, so I'm like walking on the ceiling. That's a good one. But that's in the middle. In the middle. And then on the outside, you've got the people who, who are my favourite kind of people, who are the people that just have their eyes closed and they're just fucking... Just yeah, feel it. That's my favorite. Because the craziness, some says the craziness in the middle is like, I love it and it's fun to watch, but it's fucking, it's very intense. So when you kind of look over and there's someone who's just got their fucking eyes closed, they don't care what you look like. It's just the sheer love of the volume of the music and the, the vibe in the room and sweat on the ceiling. Yeah, love that. It's, for me, it's equal parts passion, equal parts kind of what's the word like a sense of community i guess that conscientious thing where everyone's going ape shit but not in a way where they they care that i guess that's what it is they care and they show that they care because showing you care is going ape shit but or or it might be stood at the back just nodding your head um but they're allowing each other to care they're not just going you know yeah. Um, I, I, mosh pits definitely have a place and I think they're beautiful but you know the ones the ones that care like, yeah. for me Portugal wins Portuguese crowds are the one nice fucking we've never, got, yeah, we've never played in we've never played in the hot European countries we've played we've never gone like we've done like all of like north but never got to like Spain Italy Portugal unfortunately Spain and Italy are very different to Portuguese crowds. Really? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't lump all the hot countries together, my man. But, 
very different kettle of fish. <laughs> Spanish. I don't know because we've not been there. Spanish <sighs> are fucking magic. They are yeah. magic, but they're batshit. <laughs> they are not chill. They they are extra. They they're the definition of what extra means these days. Kids right. say extra. I think Spain. <laughs> they are bloodthirsty motherfuckers. Nice. Um, and Italians are great. Great. Yeah. I like, there's not there's no countries where I didn't like the audience actually. Yeah, I can't think of a single. I can't think of any gig where I've come off and been like, fuck me. <laughs> that was awful. It's like, nah, it's always had generally. I think UK, UK has to be like the, I guess my fave, but I don't know. It is tough. The UK is your favourite country to play in? No, because that's not true either. Like I mean, no, I think audience-wise it is. Definitely not for other reasons, but I think audience-wise, I'd probably say UK. I always feel relief coming home because... I'm completely understood. Yeah. Even like the inflection, the cultural inflection and my humor and stuff, they get it. Yeah. And also I know where I'm at so I can be more like specific. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you know, some, some, some parts of other, like France, France in places is really tough. I find. Um, it's a lot of aggressive, drunk, solitary men, just being really difficult. That's the only time, actually no, Spain as well. I was a real asshole in Spain. I was a real asshole in France as well. You've not experienced that. You ever lost your shit at a gig, like got angry? Um, Yes, where was it? I remember we were playing The Waiting Room in Stoke Newington. Under the Three Crowns, tiny, tiny venue. Yeah. Uh, it was a Halloween gig. Everyone dressed up. We were all dressed as ladies. We were in a really long white dress with a long blonde wig. I'd say you'd be more of a woman than a lady. If <laughs> and there was a, a fight. It was a free gig. So it was like people were just coming in from upstairs, just coming in. And someone was starting a fight in pit. And I remember just fucking getting really angry. I was like, no. And so I, I said, if you want to go, if you want to fight, get the fuck out of my gig. And like, as she went down and like, and pushed them out of the room. And like, I've never done that before. And it was, it was really like, yeah, I think that, and that was, that was quite a while ago. But I remember being like, this is super weird. It's like, no, don't fucking come fight my gig. So like, you can mosh my gig, but don't fight each other at my gig. It's fucking stupid. So remember got them out and then we carried on and it was great. And everyone had a great gig then. I wasn't as vigilant as you. I just lost my shit, tried to fight them. Oh, really? <laughs> I was an asshole. It was me, it was me you know. It's, it's, a, it's a responsibility having a microphone. True. Some guy threw a pint from the back of the room and it was like 600 cap room. Yeah. Only about 300 people there. <laughs> and he was right at the back. He launched his pint and he missed Dev by an inch. And I was just, fuck it. I was at the end of it. I just felt like a caged animal. You know, like if you tour long enough, and you have a few shows in a row where the crowd are quite hostile. It makes you feel like a caged animal. And like yeah. vulnerable in a, in a bad way. I like being vulnerable at shows. It makes me feel invigorated. But this was like horrible. And this guy just threw a pint at the wrong show, man. I was just like, I, did, yeah. I, just, I, I then just said loads of horrible stuff. And I just was an asshole. I, below, I lowered myself to that prick's level. 
Uh, yeah, it is because it's fucking annoying. Especially because it's <clears throat> if it's at your show, you're like, why the fuck are you doing that at my show? It's like I know the people who are here, like they're here not for that kind of shit. It's like don't yeah. do that fucking shit there. I, I think another one, uh, the Black Heart in Camden. Yeah, it was like first gig we ever sold out. It was fucking like that was a great feeling. We were like fucking this is gonna be. It was a fucking great gig. It was awesome. But again, there was a fight at the back of the room, and I didn't quite clock what was happening until it was kind of too late, and they'd already been taken out. But I just remember turning around and Lawrence, it was like when we had our old, drum, old drummer Lawrence, who was very gruff, very fucking nuts, Yorkshireman, was stood up and like at full attention, like ready to go. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, pointed. And, it was like, and someone was getting dragged out. And like, I was like, oh, fuck. And I knew that Lawrence, if he'd been there sooner, he would have been in there fist fighting. But again, I'm like, thankfully it got dealt with by the wonderful dancers and got quelled. But again, I'm just like, don't fucking fight at the show. It's like, Who's trying to fight, start a fight at like a 150 cap show? Assholes. What reason? What reason? <laughs> oh, yeah, assholes. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Someone ripped my shirt, the Black Heart. That was my favorite shirt. Still my favorite shirt. Me I too. Had... I've got a photo of me, my shirt getting ripped off my body at the Black Heart. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm the same person. <laughs> shirt ripping, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I love that shirt, man. It's a pajama, it's a pajama shirt, I think. Nice. I think I didn't buy it as I bought it for 200 pounds in a vintage shop and no, I didn't <laughs> um, yeah uh, aggressive that's the, before I mean how long we've we been doing this nearly two hours let's oh, end it on a can we end it on a positive yes rather than talk about horrible men ruining it for everyone else just just as a thing for the audience it's like it's not up to us to sort out in a way because we're intensely in a situation where we're emotional and not professionals. So if we do make the mistake of being an asshole, it's just because we're like everyone else. Like we just want to have a good time, but it's really important that if you're at all treated unfairly, someone gets in your space, you're entitled to your own space. Someone's pushing you, and they say it's a mosh pit, get over it. It's not. It's your space. Also, if someone touches you inappropriately, find someone that would either knock their fucking head off or tell security. It's going to give a shout out to... If a band does it with a microphone, it's dangerous. It, it can create a dangerous situation. Um, so that's what security are there for. If there aren't security, then obviously a band person would do it. But it's like... I it's really important that you feel that you're safe. Um, so never feel that you have to not say, just say immediately and the security should take the fucker out. Um, not, in a, not in that sort of way, in that sort of way. Yeah. Um, safe, safe Gigs Women, great organisation, doing everything you just said, really good. Fuck shout, yeah. out, shout out Safe Gigs for Women. And men as well, if you're feeling intimidated, the security are there to look after you as well. Yeah. Not like, hey, it's about the men as well, dude. But like, you know, like it's it's important that everyone feels safe. Hundred percent. Because it it can be a shit time for people. No, but I've, I've never had it. I always stand at the back and nod my head. That's the guy. Unless it's the OCs, that's probably my favourite gig. When people ask what my favourite gig was, that's a good thing to end it on. Yeah. My favourite gig, James. <laughs> 
I've looked through the list. I'm going to not look through the list. I'm going to make this window as big as I can now because we're done. No distractions. There you go. My favourite gig was the OCs at Primavera Festival in the Apollo. It was like an ocean. The whole, the whole room, 600, 800 cap room, I don't know. But it just moved. Everyone there just moved. Is that the venue they do like the after party? The after yeah. bit in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back. Fucking sick. Yeah. The OCs played. And like, it was, I, it was the first time I like moshed for more than like a bit. And it was just the best feeling. Soons played, or Sons played. And that was like the second best gig I've ever been to. Nice. So, um, that's mine. And it was because of the feeling of being part of this motion that didn't stop. And obviously they're one of the best bands on the planet. So yeah. that's mine. What's yours, James? Uh, again, it's always an interesting question, isn't it? But one, I'll, one that always springs to my head whenever I get asked is um, saw Nick Cave, Bad Seeds at the Apollo, which is just a fucking incredible venue anyway. And the London one, not the Barcelona one. Yes, sorry. <clears throat> um, and I just felt like I was the only person in the room. It was fucking so, so strange, just the feeling I got from watching that gig. Because he's just there, and you're like, he's just singing to me. He's not singing to anyone else in the room. And they had these like lights on poles. It was the most simple stage layout, but the most visually affecting, just incredible. And the set was perfect. And yeah, yeah. Nick Cave, I think it was like 2016. I don't know, some year, but it was fucking great. Have you seen Grinder Man live? No, never have. Sadly. You got to <laughs> go and watch them. I will. <laughs> holy, I can. Fuck. holy fuck. I mean, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, incredible. But um, yeah, Grinder Man. Just as violent, but more violent. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, that's magic. What a lovely thing to end on is yeah. probably everyone's favourite band in the world. It came in the bad seeds. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks very much for your time, James. Thank Who you. have you got next week? Yeah, I've got to say something. I will be hosting next week. Hashtag IVW take five. And my guest will be the incredible Jenny Beth. No uh, way. Jenny Beth and of Savages and of John and Jen and of everything else incredible, actually, yeah. So very happy that she's going to be joining me. And also terrified because she is incredible and quite intimidating and very French. But I'm the lowly, lowly James Cox. But I'll do my best. It will be fine. Yeah. All right. Have you, have you, you, you met her? I've met her briefly a couple of times at gigs and stuff she but. was at our gig in london yeah yeah i mean i actually weirdly sold merch for savages in the electric ballroom many years ago oh, so sick. I was selling her merch at the electric ballroom <laughs> um yeah when they played there which is quite funny i like it what a nice yeah full circle <laughs> yeah um, alright well thanks very much for your time James sorry I was late no, thank you for having me and it was lovely to chat to you long live the independent venue hell yeah